Hello, this is Monocle Reads. I'm Georgina Godwin. Today, I'm taking you into the English countryside and back into history. The Bloomsbury Group came from wealthy backgrounds and were linked by a spirit of rebellion against what they saw as the unnecessary conventions, restraints and double standards of their parents' generation. They wanted freedom to develop their own ideas and lifestyles. They were politically liberal. They also had liberal ideas about sex, which meant that there were often complicated relationships and affairs between the various members of the circle. The artists and intellectuals who were part of the group lived and worked in Bloomsbury, in central London, where they met at the London home of the artist Vanessa Bell and her writer's sister, Virginia Woolf. They shared ideas, supported each other's creative activities and formed close friendships. In 1916, Vanessa Bell moved to Charleston, a farmhouse in the Sussex countryside, with Duncan Grant and David Garnett. The house was a gathering place for some of the 20th century's most radical artists, writers and thinkers, and it's now owned and run by the Charleston Trust and continues to be a focal point for writers who gather annually for the Charleston Literary Festival, which is where I was last weekend. Let me take you there. I'm Darren Clark and I'm the Head of Collections and Research for the Charleston Trust and um, we're here in the kitchen at Charleston. Charleston was the home of the Bloomsbury artists Vanessa Bell and Duncan Grant and they moved here in 1916 and uh, made it their Sussex home and also a place, place for living but also a place for creativity. And the reason that we're in the kitchen is that it's acting as a green room for the Charleston Festival. Tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, so the festival started quite early on in the Trust's history, so we've been going for 30-something years now. And it's grown from being a very sort of small festival that focused on Bloomsbury books and Bloomsbury biographies, and it's grown to encompass all sorts of areas of um, politics and creativity and society, and really reflecting the interests of the Bloomsbury Group, the liberalism of the Bloomsbury Group, sort of keeping that sense of debate and conversation and argument alive at Charleston. So uh, Duncan and Vanessa Bell lived in this house. Mm -hmm. Let's go through the door and have a look at it. How changed is it since their time? It's remarkably similar. So, so um, the house became a museum back in 1980. So a couple of years after Duncan Grant died, which uh, he died in 1978, and the, the trust were able to buy the house because they always rented the house when they lived here. And then they started a six-year period of restoration. So the house had fallen into quite a, a bad state of disrepair. It was very damp. We're in a quite a damp area. We're at the foot of the downs, at the south downs, and then the weald behind us um, stretching out to the north. So it's quite a damp area, lots of little streams running underneath us. So the house had to have a lot of restoration, and uh, then we were able to open to the public in 1986. Um, we've been open since then. Tell us about this room that we're in. It's a book line, lots of beautiful old books, wonderful wooden floor. We've got old oriental carpets and an inlaid table here. What is this? So we call this Clive Bell study. So Clive Bell, the eminent um, art historian and critic, he used this as his writing room. But he wasn't here in 1916 when the artists moved here. So he and Vanessa married in 1907, but they were no longer living together as a married couple by 1916. So Vanessa Bell was in love with Duncan Grant. Duncan Grant was in love with David Garnett. Both David Garnett and Duncan Grant were conscientious objectors, so needed to find work on a farm or go to prison. So Vanessa Bell found them this house, secured the lease 
found them a farmer that would employ them, and they all moved here in October 1916, uh, together with Vanessa's two sons from Clive Bell, and spent the rest of the war here. And this is the first room that they started decorating. So if you can imagine when they moved in, this had been a guest house and all the walls were covered in very floral wallpaper. So the first thing they had done was have the whole house whitewashed in a sort of lovely sort of silky soft white with a touch of red and blue in that gives it a velvety feel. And uh, creating a blank canvas for what they didn't know would be another 50 years of, of uh, creativity. And it's also the site of their first decoration. So Vanessa Bell painted these wonderfully delicate stems with these blooms on top and sort of balanced in these sort of glasses and rummers and wine glasses underneath the window. And then Duncan Grant painted the back of this door. He painted a, a little um, jug with this kind of jazzy zigzaggy pattern, which we still have in the collection over on the bookshelf on the other side of the room. And in it are some artificial flowers from the Omega workshops. And that's sitting on the uh, windowsill of the dining room next door, looking out across to the barns on um, the other side of the site. And there would have been a similar panel on the lower part of the door, but that was kicked out by Vanessa Bell's two sons, by Julian and Quentin, when they were reenacting the sack of Rome. So it wasn't actually redecorated until the late 1950s. And it's a figure, it's, um, Duncan Grant was uh, going to see a troop of Chinese acrobats that would visit um, London. And so it's a, um, an acrobat sort of almost free-falling in mid-air, his legs akimbo. Fantastic. Uh, lots of art on the walls. And who do we have here in his deck chair reading? So that is a Duncan Grant painting of his cousin James Strachey. So Duncan Grant... Duncan Grant grew up in India. His father was in the Hazars and he came back to Scotland to be born, but then spent the first nine years of his life in India and then came to England for his schooling and he stayed with his Strachey cousins. So that's where he got to know Listen Strachey and, and all the others. And of course, they became part of the set. Mm, yes. And the books here would have been our original? Most of them are. This is Clive Bell's Books on Art. So he was such a, um, an important figure in the early part of the 20th century with his book Art and those ideas of significant form. And there are lots of catalogues for exhibitions right up until the 19th, sort of, um, he died in 1964. So up to um, sort of his whole life was sort of dedicated to art. I love the fact that it feels so homely. There's a bowl here that's full of old coins and keys, just the sort of thing people have in their homes all of the time. It was very much a conscious decision when the house was being restored that it should feel like a home, not like a museum. So even back in the 80s, we didn't have teasels on the chairs or ropes on furniture like in a, a National Trust property did at the time. That it would feel when you walked into the room that it would feel like you were in their home, that the artists had just left the room, that it was a very much a living space. I mean, that carries on through all the activity do now, that I'd hate people to come to the house and think they're coming to experience the past, but that they're actually coming and taking away ideas of how they can change their environment for the better, how they can um, live their lives sort of in a more freer way. Can we see some more? Yes, please see. So we're going across the hall, we're going into the dining room. So this room is uh, the other side of the, uh, the, the front door. It's, uh, it's got this incredible black wall with um, 
stenciled diamonds and hand-painted chevrons. And this was done in 1939. So the artists were here, they were here full-time during the First World War. And then between the wars, they kept Charleston on as a summer place. So they'd come down in, in the summer when it was sort of bursting with color and really warm and glorious. Um, and then with the advent of the Second World War, they decided to make it their primary residence. So they decorated these walls after war had been declared, but before the actual hostility had started in the, what they called the phony war. And it has a slightly military feel. It's quite, it should feel oppressive because it's so black, but it doesn't. It feels light, but there's still a military feel, I feel, I think, to these sort of chevrons and diamonds. Huge dining table, circular, again painted. And can you imagine the conversations that must have taken place around this table? It would have been incredible. This table was painted by Vanessa Bell in the 1950s. And it's, um, I think the circular table is one of our, some, is, a, is a piece of furniture that we take kind of our ethos from, that there isn't a head of the table, there isn't that sort of um, status. It's a, a round table where everybody has an equal position, where everybody has this equal voice. Anyone can join in that conversation. And they would have had, I mean, they could have had up to 12 people around this table at times, with their friends, obviously their Bloomsbury friends, Virginia and Leonard Wolf, and Ian Forster, and um, John Maynard Keynes but also people like T.S. Eliot, um, Benjamin Britten, all sorts of people would come and visit uh, Charleston. And on we go. Um, now, we should just point out that there are other voices around here because the, the house is very much open to the public. And, uh, of course, we can hear, we can hear people uh, chatting as they go by. Shall we go up the stairs? to Clive Bell's library. So it's up this little step here, and another little step. So this is one of my favorite rooms, I think. It's got a lovely, quiet, uh, book-lined room. It um, became Clive Bell's library in 1939 when he gave up his London apartments and brought down his stuff. It's a big painted bookcase that he had Duncan Grant made for him in the 20s that's full of these sort of good, solid volumes, sort of staples of a gentleman's library. And then the other side of the room are all lots of French paperbacks, French books, um, more sort of modernist books. But originally it was Vanessa Bell's bedroom. So in 1916, she chose the colour scheme. Again, a black wall, but with these um, Pompeian red panels. And then Duncan Grant painted a cockerel above the window to wake her in the morning and a dog underneath to protect her at night. And let me just have a look at uh, some of these books. Renaissance in Italy, we have uh, English Literature and Illustrated Record, Letters of Horace Walpole, and uh, various books of, of that ilk. Dante, I see that we have here. And then going to look out the window, of course, there's this amazing walled garden. And today, there are lots of people sprawled all over the lawn. It's a glorious sunny day. And of course, they're all here for the festival. They are. I mean, we had Jacqueline Wilson on first thing. So we had a wonderful marquee full of full of um, young visitors. And I have to say, I think that might be Jacqueline Wilson lying on the lawn just there. <laughs> it could be. <laughs> anyway, carry on. And we have, I think we've got five events today. So it's like a really exciting, very, very different, um, different events that reflect uh, our sort of Charleston's ethos and Bloomsbury ethos. I am longing to have a look at the bathroom that we just passed because okay. it looked absolutely beautiful. So Clive, he had his library and he had his own sort of ensuite bathroom and he had his bedroom. A door at the end of the corridor he could close and be away from the rest of the household. 
Just describe that bath to us. So the bathroom is quite narrow and very, very tall, and it's um, it's uh, tongue and groove uh, lined, and it's all painted in this kind of, I think I might call it a vicarage green, but I'm not quite sure. It's a really sort of quite a strident green. And then the white enameled bath has a panel on the side. It's a copy from a painting by Delacroix of a, a female nude, sort of um, in quite a relaxed pose. And uh, it was painted by a young friend of Duncan Grant's called Richard Schoen, who went on to um, edit the Burlington magazine. But it's sort of, so it's lovely that the artist's sort of creativity continues with their, their friends and, the, and also their children. Mm. And then down this little step, and we're in a bedroom here. Yeah, we're, this is Clybar's bedroom. So um, he liked a bit of luxury. We've got a fitted carpet. So he bought that. He would have bought the original one down from London. And again, it's sort of surrounded by paintings. Um, we've got a Walter Sickett that he bought from the artist called The Flower Cellar. We've got all sorts of little small paintings by French artists, all gifts to Clive Bell, books dedicated to Clive. And he was such a, an important figure in the early part of the 20th century. And is this a reading stand? It is. It's a very handy, handy reading stand. It's got a big... Um, it looks a bit like an old pub table with these sort of um, iron legs and then a brass sort of central stand and then a, a little, what do you call that, a little, little tray that sticks out the side which you could put a book on. You could even put an iPad on now, so I think it still has relevance today. You have sparked a desire in me that will not leave until I own one of those. That's amazing. I need an antique reading stand just like that. It's so beautiful. You better get me out of this room before okay. I try and put it in my handbag. John went out to Keynes' room. So he was he was at Cambridge with uh, with Clive and with um, Leonard Wolf and Lytton Strach and everybody. He was Duncan Grant's lover for a while, about 1909. And then in 1916, when they, the artist moved here, he was working in the Treasury. So he had this room put aside to come to at weekends. And then after he left the Treasury, in, he resigned in, after the war. He wrote The Economic Consequences of the Peace here. And he kept the room on until uh, 1925 when he married the Russian ballerina Lydia Lopakova. And they took a house called Tilton, which is just two fields away. So very, still very close. Oh, so we're walking into this beautiful, airy room with just rolling views across fields and it's light and wonderful in here. So this was Duncan Grant's bedroom, pretty much from when they moved in in 1916 until he died in 1978. And it's a lovely big room, as you say. It's got a fireplace in the middle, decorated by Vanessa Bell. There's some like circles and colour blocking. And then either side there's a door, uh, again, which Vanessa Bell has painted a beautiful, loose but... It's kind of sumptuous and sensual still life on each panel. And uh, it was in this room that uh, Vanessa Bell gave birth to their child. So Vanessa Bell had two sons from her husband and wanted a third child. And so she became pregnant by Duncan Grant. And Angelica was born here on Christmas Day 1918. And she was, she was raised as Clive Bell's daughter. And she wasn't told who her true biological father was until she was sort of 17. And she later wrote a book called Deceived with Kindness, where she... Yeah explores her, her relationship with her parents. And I'm just going to have a peep at another bathroom that we have here. Uh, and uh, oh, it's a sort of little library area with a great big wonderful fish painted on the table. That's Orion riding a dolphin, apparently, who looks more like a goldfish. <laughs> this is the oldest bit of the house, so this massive chimney stack that rises right up through, uh, through the buildings. It's, uh, and that's a lake we're looking over. That's the, what Vanessa Bell called the lake, which is 
more of a pond, but it's, um, yes, it's a, an important part of why the house was built here, that the, it could supply water for, for both the house and also for livestock. Yeah. Shall we go to the studio now? Mm, let's do that. And now we're walking into the studio. That's right. So this is a room that the artists had built. So after the war, they took a long lease on the house and they were able to do some major changes. So Roger Fry actually designed this space. It was originally the chicken run, nice big space. And it's built up the walls, but very cheap roof across, lots of windows in the north wall. And this became a, a studio for the artists where they could do their work, but also a great socialising space, a wonderful room for partying and for meeting friends. And it was decorated by Duncan Grant. So all the walls are painted sort of a, almost a petrol blue and a browns and pinks wonderfully decorated fireplace and it's quite i mean it's quite a busy room for a studio if you see most artist studios now it's a sort of a white clear space where you can sort of uh, express your creativity this is full of visual stimulus there's a big dutch cabinet in the corner full of ceramics uh, many by the artists themselves famous women dinner service plates from the Omega workshop, designs for Foley. There are paintings, there's ornate mirrors. There are two wonderful um, totems, uh, fairground figures that Duncan Grant bought in Italy in 1913. Um, there's their own work and work of their peers all around here. And it's a, a wonderful, uplifting room, but it's also a nice sort of a comforting room as well. And how does the house, what's the house's relationship with the festival? So the house and the, the Bloomsday Group and the, the, the work and the interests of the Bloomsday Group kind of are a, a starting point for pretty much everything we do. So whether it's the festival and the festival event, they've been interested in some kind of political or uh, some kind of uh, attitude. It sort of, it, there are things that sort of feel correct to have and talk about at Charleston in particular. And particularly now, there's so much dialogue around areas of interest for the Bloomsbury Group. And we're even exploring more darker sides of Bloomsbury, so maybe attitudes that they had that are no longer acceptable and that we can explore and question and sort of talk about those sides. So we have an event on eugenics, which is uh, something of a sort of a dark past for uh, John Maynard Keynes. So we're not shying away from looking at the Bloomsbury Group in a critical way but um, in all its many sort of facets. Well, and just everything is so enhanced by actually being able to walk through these rooms and explore the spaces that these extraordinary people lived in. Vanessa's bedroom, this is so beautiful. French doors out into the garden, a bath tucked away in a corner, a gorgeous fold-down desk. It's wonderful. It is a lovely room, and it's a room that she made for herself. So it was originally a pantry and a larder, and she had it all knocked through, this big crittle window put in, and this became her bedroom from 1939 until she died here in 1961. And she's surrounded by her children, so she's got a Duncan Grant's portrait of her eldest son, Julian, who was sadly killed in the Spanish Civil War in 1937. And then her second son, Quentin, who was uh, lived a good long life and died in 1996, was a very important art historian and a ceramicist, and was really important, him and his wife Olivia, in saving Charleston and restoring it, and donating so much of the, the contents of the house to the Trust. And then just to the, to the right of that, we've got a portrait by Vanessa Bell of her sister Virginia Woolf from 1934 in her Tavistock Square apartment, surrounded by decorations by Vanessa Bell and Duncan Grant, looking very glamorous, 
mm. looking like Joan Crawford yes. with a, a, sitting in an armchair. And over the bath, we've got um, a pastel of Angelica, the artist's daughter, dressed as Ellen Terry for a production of Virginia Woolf's short play, Freshwater. And there's a great uh, screen here too, also hand-painted. There is. This is by Duncan Grant. This was painted uh, and shown in the Omega workshops in 1913. So a really important piece, but also a a great domestic uh, item. So good for keeping the drafts out and also for a bit of modesty when taking a bath. Um, It shows two milkmen carrying a big pail of milk. They're all good rooms. (laughs) Everyone's... (laughs) This is the garden room. So this is where you come to after dinner for your coffee and, and brandy and cigarettes and a good gossip. It was painted, we talked about the dining room and the, the decorations that were done in 1939. This one was painted at the end of the Second World War. It's a grey ground, this lovely soft grey ground with a big paisley um, pattern on the top. And it's a much softer, much more sort of gentler feel to it than the dining room mm. and this is where they would have hang their best paintings this is where the matisse was this was where the original picasso was which uh, unfortunately had to be sold in the 1950s so clive bell bought it in paris in 1911 and before it went to auction everybody made a copy so this is quentin bell's copy of it and soft pink furnishings quite a feminine room really isn't it i think so i think one of the well, i think one of the things that excites me about charleston and bloomsbury is it's queerness and also its femininity and feminism and it's not aggressively it's it's modern and it has a real modernist attributes but it's not aggressively modernist it's not that sort of war sort of mongering obsessed Mm. hard sort of shiny no testosterone or not (laughs) no excess testosterone (laughs) and we've got a lovely rug designed by duncan grant with another fish motif and these sort of pink and um, o'donnell and lime green panels by the fireplace is a little log box just the roughest bit of furniture just five squares of wood loosely nailed together that um, Duncan Grant painted a, a musician and angels on each side, just really joyous and, and beautiful, that just sat there since 1916. That was Dr Darren Clark, the Head of Research and Collections for the Charleston Trust. Now, Melissa Perkins, Head of the Programme and Events at Charleston, sat down with me to give us a little more information about the festival, which runs until May the 29th. I'm Melissa Perkins, I'm Head of Programme and Events at Charleston. So tell us a little bit more about this festival. Well, the festival's been going for over 30 years now. We've had two years where it hasn't happened because of COVID. We're back now. That gave us a chance really to kind of reimagine what we want it to be. And there's a slight shift now towards a lot of commissioning. So we commissioned a a monologue last night from an amazing writer called Benedict Lom. Uh, We commissioned a reading of Lytton Strachey's letters and we commissioned The Wasteland, which was with Benedict Cumberbatch, which kicked off the festival. We've had uh, family events for the first time, so events that children and their families can come and experience together, which has definitely brought a new energy, I think, to the site. And then at the heart of the festival, it's the same that it's always been taking inspiration from the Bloomsley Group, who came to Charleston and imagined society differently. And the events that we program take inspiration from that. And they bring together writers and artists and change makers, politicians, activists, all to come together and just rethink what the world could be. And who comes to the festival? Who's your audience? 
So again, that feels like it's changing. We've got a really loyal core audience, some of whom who've been here since the very, very beginning when the festival was just 20 people in a little apple shed. So a really loyal audience, but I think a shift in programming has brought new audiences with it as well. And that's been really exciting to see a range of people. I think Litfests have a particular demographic, and uh, which is amazing, but we've made uh, efforts to bring the ticket prices down to do 10 pound tickets for people who are under 30. And you can see kind of new life and energy coming into the festival and you know just just sort of looking out the windows I haven't even wandered around the site very much yet but you could see people lying on the grass and just everybody having a lovely time in between sessions May at Charleston feels like the perfect bubble and the garden is just at its peak of beauty I think and Charleston does feel like a bubble it feels like you're stepping out of the real world somehow and just its position at the foot of the downs with this incredible wall garden that's free now for everybody to go around. Uh, you can picnic by the pond. We've got our amazing catering partners called Catra and Tails who do the owners of it uh, from North Italy. So there's a lot of Northern Italian street food and freshly baked focaccias and stuffed donuts. So it, yeah, you can be here and just really indulge all of your senses. That was Melissa Perkins of the Charleston Festival, which runs until May the 29th. You've been listening to Monocle Reads. Thanks to the producer, Nora Hole. I'm Georgina Godwin. Thank you for listening.